And I realized that, you know, really the thing that was most important to me was my boys, my wife. Um, but there's a lot of people that, that love what they're doing, right? Like not everybody wants to escape the rat race, but if we can help people continue to do what they love and help build a little bit of stack on the backside to where maybe they can peel back a little bit, still enjoy it. That's a lane that I don't think it's talked about enough either is that investing doesn't just have to be to escape something. Investing can be something that also can help you gain more of what you already have or more time or whatever else you love doing. Do you want financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom? Want to live large and live free? Then come with me. to another episode of freedom hack radio i'm your host bryce robertson and today my friends we have an awesome and exciting guest ben nelson from wild oak capital ben nelson cut his teeth producing large-scale action sports events around the world and his experience includes multiple world record credits he now focuses his skill set and energy within the multifamily real estate space and his passion about helping as many other people reach their financial freedom and time freedom as, as soon as possible by meeting them where they are on their journey. Ben, welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. Thanks, man. I really appreciate being here. So Ben, a place I always love to start, mate. What's got you feeling the most gratitude today? Man, how much time do you have, Bryce? I'm I'm a lucky man. I grew up in Colorado. I get to experience outside. I'm capable physically, mentally, and emotionally being outside. But I think the biggest thing is time with my family. We were just talking about it offline, um, being able to spend outside time with my boys and be able to spend time with other people, helping them gain that time as well. Yeah, and you were saying you just had some pretty epic snowboarding recently with your with your young fellas. You bet. Yeah, no, I've got two little boys, eight and nine, and they're in that magic sweet spot where they're physically capable and they're starting to hang and we can ski together and they're, they still think dad's cool. They're not too, they're not too cool to not hang out with me. So I'm, I'm enjoying that quite a bit. 
Man, the thing like when when I started investing back in 2015, the thing back then, everyone was talking about financial freedom. And a lot of people still are talking about financial freedom. But the time freedom piece, it's just like everybody's talking about it now. It's like yeah. this whole waking up that's happening on the planet right now where people are like, wait up, this whole like waking up at 530, going to the grind until you die. I don't think we're meant to live like that. And yeah. so many people are waking up and realizing how special it is to be able to spend time with our family and friends and do the things we want to do. Uh, it's so important today. And I know that's a very core focus of what you guys are doing as well. Very much. Well, and I think a lot of it too, is you, you talk a lot of this, we, and then we spoke in the beginning about meeting people where there are. So I, I was fortunate to be in an industry that I loved just wholeheartedly. I loved what we were doing. I loved the projects. I loved the difficulty and the complexity. Um, but it came to a point where that was taking over all of my time away from my family. You know, I made a joke that I was always building other things for other people, other places. And I realized that, you know, really the thing that was most important to me was my boys and my wife. Um, but there's a lot of people that, that love what they're doing, right? Like not everybody wants to escape the rat race, but if we can help people continue to do what they love and help build a little bit of stack on the backside to where maybe they can peel back a little bit, still enjoy it. That's a lane that I don't think it's talked about enough either is that investing doesn't just have to be to escape something. Investing can be something that also can help you gain more of what you already have or more time or whatever else you love doing. I love that. That's a really unique thing about you and, and your perspective of meeting people where they are. Um, can you give a couple of examples of like meeting people where they are? Yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about that is not every, no investor is the same in my opinion, right? Like there's a lot of people when they come into this space, number one, I, I personally think not nearly enough people understand or even know about this space. Or, you know, if you hear about specifically the real estate syndication, there's a lot of people who just have a misconception or don't necessarily understand what that is. The fact that we're pooling people's money together to buy larger assets and that people gain ownership, actual ownership of a piece of that asset is incredibly powerful. And when we start talking to people about what that means and how that works, it's huge. So uh, some people may, for that example I just gave, uh, there's some producers that I love and they're working their faces off. You know, they, they choose to not have families. They want to just be a part of this and they love what they're doing. So what we do is we say, hey, cool, we'll work with you to be an LP. We'll do all the hard work. We'll do all the lifting. You can invest with us and we'll continue to help you grow your net worth. We'll continue to help you with tax benefits, all the things that come along with it. There's also people that are very interested. You know, I'm a, I'm a much more hands-on guy. I, I just learn by doing. And so I would want to be a part of like, how does it work on the backside? How does that work? So we have, you know, we've built modules, we have coaching, you know, we're now starting this, this uh, event series to just show people and match people with, with other really experienced folks who've come before them. You know, we, we didn't invent this. There's a lot of people that showed us the way here also. So we're trying to match people, whether it be with us or with other people to, to meet them on their journey. And there's people who are, you know, really experienced, know exactly what they want, know exactly what their niche is. And we say, Hey, either a, yep, we have that for you. And we can, we can work with you there. Or that's not us, but we have some very good friends that are doing that, right? So we're in the value add space, mobile home parks, for example. Somebody comes to us and say, I'm really interested in mobile home parks. I really understand it. I get it. I really want to be there. I was like, great. That's not our lane. But let me introduce you to Bryce because I know him. I understand what he's doing. I really trust him to do that. So for us, it's more about me. When we say meet people where they are is having the conversation with them about who they are, where they are in their journey is in the beginning, the middle, the end, and what your goals are for your life and for your time, for your family. 
And then we try to do a best job to match you with what that is, whether it be with us or somebody else. You mentioned trust just then. And I think that when, if I'm an investor and I'm looking to invest my money with somebody, I definitely want to trust the person who's going to be managing my money. And I say to my investors all the time that I think that we should put more, probably significantly more than 50% of our decision-making of whether we're going to join a certain investment, if we're investing passively in the person who's actually going to be managing our money and managing the investment um, versus the actual investment itself. Because someone who's really good at what they can do can take a, a pretty average investment and make it perform really well, or they could actually take an excellent investment and make it perform pretty poorly if they're actually not good at what they do. So I think trust is like a huge part. And when I look at you and I look at your life and I look at the things that you've done, I personally think that what you're doing right now is so dramatically less complicated and, um, and less complex to the capacity of things that you've actually handled in the past that I want to take an opportunity right now to kind of like wind back the clock and talk about some of these projects that you used to work on when you're sure. basically coordinating the events for world records. So can you explain what it was that you spent a lot of your previous life doing? Sure. Yeah. So we found ourselves in a niche and, and by we, I mean the people that I work with. No, nothing happens in a vacuum, just like in real estate. You need a team, you need people around you that are doing a great job. Um, but we cultivated this ability to pull off things in a niche um, that was difficult, right? Really unique, really interesting things. So there's a couple examples of that, but the one that I think is the most interesting is um, racing off-road desert trucks. So short course desert trucks on snow in Maine. Um, this was not, this one was not necessarily the world record, but just never been done before. And so we were approached by some of our friends at Red Bull and a, and a good buddy of mine, Pete Breakerhoff had this idea and said, Hey, we really have this idea. We think this could be really interesting to just take something that doesn't exist in this atmosphere and this environment and see what happens. So over the course of a year, and again, multiple people involved, but we, we developed this plan to put these short course trucks on, on snow and build jumps and build an over under and what that would actually take. Um, you know, redesigning some of these aspects of it. And so that, that led us into a lot of other things, including some of these world records. You know, we, we were able to be a part of the ground team that dropped Felix Baumgartner from near space as part of the Stratos project. Um, we worked with Nitro Circus uh, hand in hand when they were doing the Nitro Circus world game, specifically the competition piece. And, you know, we got to do some fun stuff there too. And, and working with people like, you know, Travis Pastrana had this idea. He wanted to build the first over, over, under, you know, the over, under jumps were pretty, per, you know, prolific at that time. So it's actually a, a car going over another car jumping and another car going through a tunnel all simultaneously all at once. Um, and just the ability to do some of those things. And to your point, what that takes, a lot of people see that or, you know, you show up, you buy your ticket and go away. They've probably been here for a couple of days. Most of those take years in the making to make that happen. You know, you start talking about Stratos. Uh, we picked it up at an iteration that was even down the line. There are people before us, they even looked at a different venue. Um, people see that maybe there was one jump and jumped out of space and it was fine. We were, we lived in Roswell off and on for over a year just in the project because there's, you know, different iterations and different tests and testing the capsule and all these different things and building out the ground space for everything to happen there. So what we do is we come in, we sit with a client, go through the project, build the budget, build the time frame, and, and see if it's going to work. And a lot of times when you talk about these world records, it's even more intense in the sense that people approach us and say, Hey, we want to, we want to break a world record. And so we'll just use an example, like longest distance for a motorcycle. 
and say, cool, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to achieve it? It's like, oh, okay, it's a marketing ploy. Great. And they say, what's your budget and what's your timeline? And more often than not, people are like, oh, uh, we want to get this done in three months. We're like, you're out because it takes an immense volume of training, intense volume of budget. Because what we'll do is the same thing in, in business, same thing as in multifamily, anything we're talking about, we'll take that athlete, even if they're incredibly talented, and we'll start jumping small and just repetition of getting used to how, what this feels like and bike, and we'll jump farther and we'll jump farther. And then we get to a place where we're training at a distance and then we get into that real thing. So you're, you're talking about weeks, months, sometimes years before you're getting into the actual thing. So that's in a nutshell, sort of how we got into it and how the world records go. And I, I could talk for a long time about even more than that. Let's actually take a little bit of like a sidetrack down there <laughs> and bring it back to the investment world. Sure. For example, Felix Borgmata, and, and you're referring to him creating the world record of the highest skydive and basically yeah. going into, was it the stratosphere? Is that what you call it? Yeah, it's a, the project was stratus, but it was, yeah, the upper atmosphere. Um, yeah, I can talk about that project. And there's there's uh, seven world records that were broken there. Um, some of them stand, some of them don't. Um, but yeah, the idea was that he was going to do the world's highest skydive. And it's really interesting in the sense that he was actually following in the footsteps and breaking world record um, of a former military officer. His name was Joe, incredible, incredible dude. And I'd, I'd highly encourage people to go back and take a look at the history of that because some people that laid the groundwork there were men, mm -hmm. but, you know, they, they did this, you know, we had technology, we have a lot of technology. He was essentially jumping out of like a canvas sack with you know what they were figuring out to be spacesuits, which was leather and duct tape essentially, with no um, cameras and no like support oh, yeah. and all this stuff, right? Oh yeah, no, it was he. But the cool thing is that Joe was a part of the entire process, and Joe was the only person allowed to speak to Felix in his ear as mm -hmm. he was going through the capsule. So, Oof. what what that took for us? Go ahead, sorry. I mean, that's just like big responsibility right there. I mean, it's huge. You know, he's the only one that's allowed to like get in his head in that moment. He's also the only one in the entire world that knows what he's thinking at that time or as close to it as possible. He's the only other person that's done that and jumped out of a balloon, you know, out of a, a capsule attached to a balloon, I should say, at that space and, and look down. There's a ton, of, a ton of risk that's involved, right? Like we talk about this and I think it's the same. We can get back to investing, but really what my biggest job was, was to mitigate risk for the project. And how do we look at the best possible way to get there and how do we build our systems and our processes and our people in such a way that we're doing this in the best possible ways we can, but also knowing that things are going to go wrong. Right. It's, and I think that we talked about this personally offline is that whether it's investing or whether it's project management in the space, you build your best possible plan, but then you also build the space for something to go wrong. And that's where you talk about trust, right? The picking the person or the team that can go into a space with plan A, but also can service plan B, plan C, plan D for the better and for the worse. And understand that if you have the ability, like the best possible plan is the ability to think on your feet once you've got past that. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, there must just be so many moving pieces with all of it. I mean, I'm assuming you have to have like engineers in in place and then there's like all of the tech side of things and there's oh, yeah. the camera, camera crews and then people need to eat too and you guys are in roswell and like oh, yeah. not much in roswell so then you got to bring like all of the oh, yeah. care of the people in roswell and like Indeed. dude I mean, how many people does it take to pull together a project like this uh, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, and, and again, it takes a team. We were the, we were the ground support crew, but there's an entire group of engineers. There's a, a man named Art um, who helped develop all of the space 
components to this enveloping the capsules. There's another entire crew on the ground for cameras and not just for there, there's, a, there's actually a specifically built uh, camera rig that has essentially a telescope to be able to track Felix from the point of exit all the way down to the ground. Um, yes, all the way down to people, you know, we, we affectionately called a lot of our guys that the operations team on the ground space janitors, because there's people that still have to, you have to sweep, you have to clean, you have to make sure the cars are parked, right. You have to make sure people are fed. You know, mm -hmm. we do all of the, the work there from the ground all the way up and you're making sure that it sinks. Right. And everybody has to work together. So when we're managing properties, when we're managing an investment, some things do go wrong. And I want to fully bring this back to investing in a little bit, but I want to yeah. just kind of stick on this for a little bit longer. Yeah. When you were managing this project with um, Felix Borgmatter, what kind of things did go wrong throughout that process? Maybe even some of the things leading up to training, like, like through training, and then did anything like actually happen on the day of as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the training things are, are really interesting. They, the training component of that, especially the time that they spent with Felix, there's a very specific team that they trained and trained and trained and built the suit. Um, there's another uh, skydiver named Luke Aiken who worked specifically with Felix, who's incredibly talented um, and literally would jump out in that spacesuit and try to learn how to you know, get out of control and get himself back in control. And so it was a, a true team effort. But to your point, you know, as we're building these things up, you're learning things over time. And that's why they did so many jumps. And that's why we build these things up. So we started with a crew, you know, I think there were probably 40 or 50 people on the ground when it started. And by the end, we were at hundreds by the time you had crews and everybody else in there. Um, but we learned a bunch. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens that I can't talk about. But there's one pretty interesting story that, that happened. Um, you know, we have, the, we have to be really agile. But sometimes the, the easiest thing is, is the best thing. Um, so on the, the day of the actual launch, we actually had to scrub the first day. And so the second day that we were actually un unrolled the balloon, we were going for it. Um, all of a sudden we have this blip in communications and we're seeing a breakdown of communication and we pick back up and seeing a breakdown of communication and pick back up. And, and there's air force officials with us. Um, and they make a call and say, Hey, we're seeing an anomaly. We're seeing, you know, a pretty regular blip on our communications and it's completely cutting us out and which would make a scrub. Um, and as I understand it, cause I wasn't on the phone, the, the answer was, yes, we, we see it too. We understand what that is. We know what it is, but, and no, it's not going to turn off and no, we're not going to tell you what it is. So we're, we're just ragging our brains because we don't, A, we don't know how long it's going to happen. We've brought all these things out. You know, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars invested in this thing happening. So quite literally, I send my, my little brother, Matt out to every store in Roswell, New Mexico and surrounding areas, um, as quickly as we could. And we sent a bunch of people out we got every inch of aluminum foil we could find and we take a fence panel that we had an extra fence panel and we just wrap this with tin foil and wrap it with a scrim and put it on the front of a big forklift and we drive it out and point and basically block it in the direction that this signal is coming from and no joke like i i didn't think it was going to work but it worked it's well enough that we use in our kitchen like that we would <laughs> the oven, just like yeah. wrapping up the forklift with that so we had just a, a fence panel it's like a big wall of foil and then wrap that to where and, and a piece of scrim to make it look not foily and, and make it look prettier and and yeah we we it worked well enough to get everything off the ground that's some macgyver stuff there dude <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of those you'd be surprised how much of that happens on the back end of a, of a major production for sure that's wild. So yeah, man, when I'm thinking about all of these kinds of complexities and then, you know, a fast forward, you're involved in the multifamily space. And I think about like managing people's money and the, and the things that are involved with multifamily properties. 
it's kind of like child's play really like what you're what you're doing these days compared to like the complexity there obviously it's very important it's very important to manage people's monies um but and you but you got you had like literally like people's wives on 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 stake back then so how do you bring all of this into the investment world i mean you were like the risk guy how do you bring like this risk adjustment into like the investing world I think, I think it's a very similar mentality in the sense that you're right. You know, we've been in meetings and, and for the most part, toward the end of the career, almost every single project started with us gathering the important people in a room and saying, hey, this is what happened if somebody dies. This is what happens if something goes wrong. This is what happens if we have to quit. Um, and really understanding how you communicate well with each other and why that communication is so important. So I don't think it's a lot different in the sense that, yes, you know, knock on wood, hopefully if we do something wrong, nobody's going to die. Um, but we have people's livelihoods in our hands. We have the, you know, the well-being of some people in our hands. For the most part, you know, people that are investing with us, they know what they're getting into. That's, that's part of the game. But the communication piece, the preparedness piece, and to me, the understanding that no matter what we do, the plan's going to change. And I don't think that that gets talked about enough. I, I actually keep all the notebooks from all the projects that I produce and even some of the small ones that I still do for fun because it's always really interesting to see where we thought we were going to be and where we ended up, right? And so a lot of this in the sense of investing, I think a lot of people get really excited about closing the deal, right? Like, oh, we're closed, we're under contract, everything's great, like, you know, we're here, but that's just the start to me, like that's where we think we're starting. This, mm -hmm. you know, three to five years down the exit, like that's race day, right? Like that's where we actually get that, that glory. And the in-between is how we have to adjust it. So in my brain, the risk piece is part of it. And we look and see, you know, contractually, are we, are we, can, are we aligned? Is what can go wrong in the space? Or, you know, we primarily are in the Southeast. So for example, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, tornadoes can be a thing. Flooding can certainly be a thing. Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing ice storms. But it's just also about, hey, you know, what else is going on in the property? What else is going on in the neighborhoods? What else is going on in the region? And then and making sure that we're aligning with the right people. To me, it's asking the right questions, too, and just being prepared and asking, you know, we interview property management, do what happens when something goes wrong? Because that to me is the biggest question. I don't do it to be pessimistic. I do it because that's where how agile we need to be. And if they don't have the agility to be there, they're probably not the right piece. And challenges is going to pop up. Like, yeah. like we can absolutely guarantee there's going to be challenges that pop up. You know, we can't really guarantee many other things. I think one other thing we can guarantee is there's going to be changes, you know? Yeah change happens and i i personally believe that where we are in our time in history right now that we're we're, we're got an amplified amount of changes happening simultaneously and i think that's going to increase you know maybe for the next few years maybe for the next decade who yep. knows but i really feel that those who are ready to like move and adapt and shift with the changing environment are the ones that are going to like thrive for this kind of environment and those who are wanting to do the same things and just stick to what they know, um, they're probably going to find it pretty challenging. Very much so. I, I, we're exactly on the same page there. I don't, we don't say if, it's when. Because if you can point to me to a single GP, a single investment company that has exactly ed, you know, executed what they're going and nothing changed from point A to point B, I'd be very surprised. I would give you $5 because it never happens that way. But the ability to be agile and the ability to be honest with people about what's going on, you know, same thing, like whether it's an event or whether it's an investment, we do regular check-ins, right? So we do weekly check-ins with our property management company. We do weekly check-ins internally. We do a monthly check-in of financials on purpose of exactly where we are. We do the same thing. You, you close an event day. What happened today? What are we going to do tomorrow to adjust to what happened today? 
every single day. What well, could be weather, it could, and it could be a change in interest rate. It's and to me, they're the same monster. It's just in a different place. Yeah, and that's it's actually an area that I put a lot of focus on the economy. Um, I, I kind of, as a side project, love to take a deep dive on macroeconomics because I think it affects so many of our investments and all the things that are going on right now. And um, interesting, we look at what happens with banks recently, yeah. and um, we've seen some movements and changes in the multifamily space with a lot of people with adjustable rate mortgages. And um, they're kind of essentially stuck with a hot potato, some people, not all. Um, and it's not happening all across like the multifamily space. But with all these changes happening right now, like what are you guys doing this year to kind of adapt and change and to kind of like move forward to, you know, navigate through all of this kind of madness? Sure. I mean, I'd like to say that we're not doing a lot of things differently because I think we just saw it a little bit differently. Um, you know, there was a lot of money that was, to your point, a lot of money was cheap money, right? Um, but a lot of money was cheap money on short terms. We, we made it a point to, a lot of people say that we, you know, we do conservative underwriting, right? But for us, we always wanted to be in a place um, that we had long money on purpose. Um, and there's, there's, it's a tool, right? Like, you know, short-term loans or bridge loans are, are a decent tool. And I think a lot of people were just expecting that the sky would never fall, right? Like it's always going to be this way that it's always going to go up. It's never going to change. And to your point, some people got caught with a hot potato. Fortunately, we, we didn't, you know, and we, we were smart about asking for money. Like we had some loans and some of the ones that we took over in that time, we actually assumed some loans. And so we're still in great shape based on what that is. Um, we are paying attention to more creative ways to get into some deals. Cause as I think everybody is in this space, you know, assumable loans are a great space to be in. Um, we are getting deeper into like owner finance deals and finding some of those, you know, everybody it's a, it's a unicorn of a, you know, a mom and pop that owns it and wants to own a finance. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that, the conversation is also open a little bit more. I do think that we're also resetting to be more realistic and more in the reality. The fact that I don't know that we're going to see 3% interest rates ever again, truthfully, you know what I mean? Maybe, but probably not. And people that are waiting and holding on for that hope that we're going to get back there are probably going to be in a little bit of trouble. If it normalizes around five or six, like historically speaking, like that's still not a bad way to be. So to me, it's more of a mindset shift and a conversation shift of what does that look like what can we buy for this money? What does that look like in our plan as we're putting it together to your point? Like, what does the notebook start now? And what's the difference there? So being in the value add space, what are we doing and what can, what good can we do in this space based on that capital stack and based on that return now? And I think that goes all the way down to the conversations you're having with your investors, right? Money was cheap, which means investments that were made probably had some pretty high returns or even the promise of some pretty high returns. There were some people, and I'm sure you're the same, you know, people were promising some pretty big numbers. Mm -hmm. I think having realistic conversations with your investors based on the space, like, hey, this is realistically what we think we can get, you know, even with a conservative margin and you need to be comfortable with that. And here's why, right? Like if people who want fast money, people who want quick money, people who want really big, quick money, you're probably not our guy. We're, this is, you're in this, you're illiquid for three to five years. And if we need to hold, we may hold for a little bit longer just based on what we're seeing. So it's more of based on the, how we form that conversation and how we go about doing the deals than anything else. Risk adjusted returns. Yeah. And I, I actually heard you speaking many times throughout this conversation about the forward projections. So many conversations I've had with operators, not just in the multifamily space, but like across the investment board have been very much of like, hey, right now, right now, this is what's happening right now. 
But these investments are like five years, seven years. And we need to take into consideration everything that's going to happen between now and then, which is mostly question marks. Like we don't, especially in today's environment, we really don't know. Um, are you guys looking at like other, like are you guys looking at like tax abatement properties and things like this as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fortunately I've got some really great partners as well. My brother, Eric is an engineer. He's a civil. We've got another one who's an engineer and he's built in the oil space. Uh, you know, our fourth partner is actually a salesman in, in of kombucha. Um, so we've got some really interesting different takes in that. And we have looked at some of those things and we'll, we will continue to do that. I think at, as the evolution of our company and as what we, where we go with people's money and our own money, frankly, is going to change. Um, I do think that this is just the tip of the iceberg as far as syndication is concerned. I think that, you know, a big focus are we talked in the beginning is letting people know that this exists and it could be a really powerful and useful tool. I do think that we'll see people fall out of this game a little bit. And, and I think we're to your point, like it's still in the infancy, but I think there's some people who got in when it was, was a little bit easier and it was cheaper to get in this space. I think the cream will rise to the top. So we're, we're playing the long game. I think we're confident in our skills we're confident this is a space that we can do some good in as well. Like, you know, getting into that BC class into some workforce housing, elevating the the way that people live, making a little bit of money for everybody, but also providing a quality product for people to live. Like that's something that we can be proud of also. I was just at our best ever conference in Salt Lake City. And I noticed like, cause I've got a lot of these conferences and I noticed a few things that were really different about this time. And first thing, tons of talk about the economy. I think like somewhere between 30 to 50% of the speakers were talking about the economy and every one of the participants was like talking about the economy. That from my experience doesn't happen. Um, people are usually talking about strategies and all this kind of stuff. So that was interesting to yeah. see masses being like, oh, we need to like start thinking about this stuff. Secondarily, I also noticed that there was a lot of people that were for the first time saying, hey, we need to branch outside of what we're actually doing right now. And there was a lot of talk about alternative investments, um, which was pretty interesting. Um, even some not even alternative um, real estate investments, completely like, you know, food production and different things like this, where yeah. people are just seeing a lot of like differences and changes and everything like that. And I think this is interesting because that's, you know, because I've been like screaming from the rooftops about all these kinds of things for years and years. Yeah. This is the first time that I'm really feeling that like everybody else is feeling it, like really actually viscerally feeling it and starting to make some changes and, and adaptions and everything like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty exciting, you know, because there's going to be a lot of problems to solve and a lot of like new ways to create solutions. And I think that's great. And I do think that you put the right people in the right place in the calm manner. It's, it's exciting to be able to solve those problems, right? And the ability to see it from the other side. And I, I am excited about that. I think for us, though, it's, it's just a longer view of people can get in so wrapped up into what's new and, Oh, I heard about this on this podcast. Like I'm going to put my money there without, without really understanding it or really like making a plan for it. And I think that's where people get involved. Like the, you can say that about the meme stocks, right? Like somebody on this podcast definitely invested in GameStop at the wrong time and definitely lost some money, right? Like there's a lot of that, but it's, it's more about if you as an investor, and this is just me personally talking, I'm not an advisor, but if you guys are understanding what you're getting into, and asking questions why and if it fits what you're going for it doesn't have to be the coolest shiniest thing it just has to fit what what you're doing and i think that's the questions that we ask people or like what's your goal like and again it goes back to like meeting you where you are what's your goal like what are you into what what's exciting to you what you know what are you going to pay attention to do you, and do you want to pay attention to that 
And so it's, you know, I, I think the same way. I think there's some really interesting things out there and we've, I've had the opportunity to invest in some, some interesting spaces, but for us right now, our focus is like, we're going to keep making sure that people have a quality place to live in, in the place we invest in. Yeah, man. And what you were just saying then was kind of triggering a thought pattern of that. You're basically saying that for each investor, um, there's no one size fits all. It's like, what are you looking for? Where are you at? What are your resources? What are you looking to achieve? Everybody's different. Um, it's kind of a general theme that I think is happening with people on the planet right now with like health. Like there's a lot of, there used to be like the one size fits all workout program or diet. And everyone knows that it's, this doesn't work like that. People have yeah. different builds. We have different bodies. We have different metabolisms. We have um, different lifestyles. And like, so it's kind of where, I think we're really moving into like more consciousness and, and being able to do what we really want to do, what really works for us and what's really good and important for us in our life. And I know before you were talking about time freedom and I think that's a really yeah. big piece. So to be the living example of um, really leaning into time freedom, how is that actually playing a role in your life? And like, what are you doing to really express your time freedom? Oh man. I mean, and it's something I aspire to so much and, and, I think that the ultimate goal is to have, you know, all time freedom. And, but for me, being able to spend time with my boys and teach them the things that are important to me, you know, I, you know, I, we were talking offline. I got to spend a bunch of time with my boys in the mountains and we, we ski and we, I get to take them down and hang out with my parents where I grew up. I was really fortunate. I grew up in Southwest Colorado. We had access to the lake. We had access to the outside. We had access to skiing, you know, that those are things that I still hold near and dear to me. Um, but it's more than that. It's just about being around. You know, when I was on the road, I, again, I loved what I was doing. I loved the projects. I loved the intensity, but I was also missing the 4th of July. You know, we, we produced a race in Brooklyn that spanned over the 4th of July. And I spent the 4th of July watching fireworks over, you know, the Hudson, as opposed to being watching them in the mountains with my boys. That's a decision that I make now to do that. Um, I was the coach of my son's flag football team. And that was something that would never have been able to happen. You know, even just going to spring break, like I couldn't guarantee you that I would be here for spring break next year. If some project came up that we were going to go do, I can't tell my wife, even a year out, like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be here. And now I can say, yes, we build our life around those rocks as opposed to building around what I was doing. And that's, that to me is like the biggest first step It's like, how can I, how can I be here? How can I show up and then build my life around those rocks? that I'm for sure going to be in Durango, Colorado um, on the second to the last week of March. I'm definitely going to bring my boys and we're definitely going to ski, whether there's snow or not. You know, same thing in the fall time. I last, last fall, I'm definitely going to go to Oregon and we're going to in the fall time and it's going to be rainy and it's going to be amazing. And we're going to run around and find hermit crabs and all those things and just show, show my boys the things that, that I love, but also let them fall in love with those things on their own. So I think that's the, the I, I get kind of teared up about it. Like I get choked up, like the ability to let them have time with me and I get to see what they're falling in love with. And do you, in that environment, do you find it challenging or do you have some kind of code to make it uh, possible for you to have a different context where so many people will do that kind of thing. They'll go like, all right, I'm going to go snowboarding with my kids, but then they're like on the ski lift working and they're like on their phone and doing all that kind of stuff and not actually present. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Do you, how do you like get around that side of things when, cause there's always things ticking in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think part of that is it, it's a time block type situations, like letting people know and, and we all do it right. Like I, I'm, I'm by no means am I perfect. Like there's some days where 
you get a phone call and you have to like, Hey guys, take two seconds. We're going to do this, but making sure that they know why you're doing that and making sure that you know that you're there with them. I've had that conversation and it happened. It happened recently. It was like, something went wrong. We're fixing it. And it's something that was immediate. It's like, Hey, I know this is going on. We've got to deal with the situation right now. It's like, guys, I know this is our time. I really appreciate it, but this is how we're, this is why we're here. And then tonight we're going to, we're going to add an extra day. We're going to add another thing on here. So it's, it's more about being very real with them in my opinion. Um, and, and using enough time where they understand why, why this is. Cause it's like, it's a treat. Maybe take a step back. I explain it this way. It, if it's always flowing together, if I'm there and I'm present at dinner and I'm there and I'm present at their football game and I'm there and I'm present when we're skiing and we, we go and we make plans like, Hey, we're going to ski this weekend and we're going to get up at five in the morning and I'm, we're going to walk uphill and we're going to see like, I love to skin. I got you snowshoes. We're going to, you're going to walk with that. And we're going to share some of these things together as opposed to like, I'm not present. And then all of a sudden, like I'm present for four days, even if I'm all, all present just for those four days, it, it doesn't in the aggregate, like it's that special moment. Right. But it doesn't necessarily add up to me. It's about being like, what is your overall presence as well? That's huge, man. There's so many distractions these days. That's, it's that's easy within itself, man. It's easy. Yeah. So, um, so you are the living example of expressing time freedom. You like to do that with your family and enjoying outdoor adventures and everything like that. Yeah, and you and I were talking offline about a really, really exciting event. I don't know if we can even talk about it because it's so early in the stages, um, but I was getting really juiced on the concept of an event that you're going to be hosting or events that you're going to be hosting. Um, would it be all right if we uh, uncovered that a little bit here? Yeah, we can give, we can give a little a teaser. So yeah, we've been working on some event series around really kind of how my brain and my journey have, have come together. You know, I, like I said, and I mentioned that I'm a doer, I, I learned by doing, my brain is not nat naturally mathematically inclined. You know, that's why I have my brother and two engineers on our team, like they underwrite and can do it in their sleep faster than I can do it on paper. But what I love doing is being with people, people and, and understanding how people work and meeting people where they are is important. So when I got into real estate, I found some people that I jived with and could learn from and could ask questions of. So we're building some event series. One will start in Denver. The first one will be in October in Denver um, called the Headwaters Project. And essentially it's about people who are getting into this or have already made some steps down the road, pairing them up with some people that have been in the industry for a long time, but less about talking heads on a stage and much more about real interaction for a couple of days. You know, we do tons of breakouts. We, we cap it on purpose at about 60 people. So we sell out quick. Um, but on purpose. So we have, you know, in that we'll break down, you know, 10 different groups of six people or six different groups of 10 people. And they, some people do underwriting, some people do asset management, some people just do business development, and some will be open forum. And then you move those people around. So by the time you get done with a couple of days, your, bread, your brain's swimming, but also likely you've met some people that you're going to partner with, that you can ask questions of that will be your mentor. So that's the, that's the step one, what we're talking about beyond that is really developing what I want to, you know, loosely want to call the Delta is based around adventure. Cause I think for me, I learned so much more by doing, but I also in my own environment. So we're building an, a series around development while adventuring. So whether it be riding motorbikes for four days and you ride for the first part of the day and you show up and we have a chef has prepared you food and you sit down and you have a drink, you spend a couple hours masterminding and learning and talking and digging in and uncovering your own strengths and your own weaknesses. 
um, for a couple of days, or we've got a hut and we're skinning for a couple of days and we come back and we're around a fire and we have a whiskey and we're like getting into it. So what we want to do is pair people's adventure spirit and entrepreneurial spirit at the same time and really give them the resources, the tools and the people and the mentors to succeed. And I think, I mean, not only is that an absolutely amazing idea and I'm very interested because I love all these outdoor adventures and it just sounds absolutely amazing for us in our lives to carve out time to ask these kinds of questions and do these kinds of work. And like, unless we're going to go do something like this intentionally, where we're going to block out this time and say, all right, yeah, we're going to have some fun and we're going to play, but we're also going to like ask these real questions and take a deep dive and uncover some things that we've been neglecting, or maybe didn't even know that were, were under the covers, so to speak. Um, that's really important, man. Like if, if we don't stop to intercept those things, People can go through their whole life without asking these questions, without like, you know, taking a deep dive in these areas. And then we don't get the breakthrough. And some of those moments in my life have been the most radically changing, powerful moments. We've got to stop. We've got to like actually take the time to do that. And I think that's really special to actually hold space for people to have those breakthroughs, man. I mean, you and I have had this conversation. I think you were, we were talking in Nashville about surfing and it, it's the same thing for me, like being in mountains. I can remember very specific times where you have to get quiet enough to be able to hear what you're talking about inside your own head, like getting amongst it, like just dropping everything else off. So part of this is what I want to do is take a Pelican case. You lock your phone away when you're on your motorcycle for the vast majority of the day, you're not, you don't even have access to your phone, right? Like we have all the things that you need to be present. Like there's a chase truck, there's somebody preparing your meal. Your job is to take yourself and your motorcycle from point A to point B and wrestle with all that stuff in your brain while you're riding. And then we get there, unlock that and have a conversation. Same thing. We're going to go skinning. There's no phones. There's nothing else. Like it's going to be you, a couple of guys or girls in the mountains and breathing and skiing. And then at the end of the day, all that stuff you've uncovered in your brain, we're going to sort that out and we're going to help you succeed and give you some of the tools. But a lot of times people know inherently a lot of what they're going through. It's just the world's way too noisy to be able to listen to it. So we want to build some space for you to get out there, get amongst it and be able to listen to yourself a little bit too. Listen to yourself, man. Yeah, that's powerful, dude. I think we all, we have the answers if we stop and ask ourselves the right questions that we know, yeah, yeah. We, we can get in tune with ourselves. That's beautiful, man. Something that um, I've actually kind of got into recently, and I'm very, very early stages of this, but I'm really excited about the whole concept of it all because it's something, you know, when you come across something that you're like, wow, I never thought like this was something I was going to be into. And um, so I've always, uh, for the last however many years, been training for like a Spartan race or a marathon or a triathlon or something like that, some kind of athletic goal. Um, but the goal isn't actually the whole thing. It's actually, it keeps the context of my training. Now I'm motivated to work towards this thing and I'm going right. to keep going and it's, it keeps me active, right? And I've found that when I don't have those goals in place and I don't have a race coming up and I don't have a challenge coming up, I'm not going to train as hard. For some reason, I've kind of dropped off like that. Um, and then for some reason, uh, I came across mountaineering um, recently. I'm actually going out to Mount Baker in Washington to do a six yeah. mountaineering course. And that's actually going to lead me to Kilimanjaro in Africa so I can actually get some altitude and really acclimatize myself there so I can go down to South America and I can uh, climb Anconcagua, which is the tallest mountain in the Americas. 
And then I can, uh, after that, go down to Antarctica to Vincent to climb the tallest mountain in the Antarctic and then go over and do one of the tallest um, mountains in Tibet as well. And I'm just really, really freaking excited about this yeah. thing. It's like, it's, I don't know if the universe designed it so that I, I needed to mature myself to a certain point where like now's the time for me to do it. Um, but yeah, man, I'm just like, it's just that adventure side of things. It just, it brings so much into my life. Now I'm like really yeah. amped about training. Now I'm really amped to get connected with all of these mountains. It's kind of like a spiritual thing for me, as well as like a physical and yeah. mental and, um, and very much the adventure and the unknown and the exploration. And um, I, I, I just really want to share that because I'm super excited about it. And I think it applies to like, um, definitely your energy and a lot of what you're creating. And I know you can kind of like resonate with me on that. Very much so. Yeah. No, and you and I have talked about that a bunch is that the training for a purpose and training. And honestly, it's the same way. Like for a long time, you know, I was a kind of a stick and ball athlete in my early days and it changed quite a bit when I realized like I wasn't, I'm not going to be a football player. Like I'm not fast enough, strong enough. And I've had too many injuries. And so changed everything to focusing on skiing all the time. You know, in my college career, I probably went to, I probably had more days on the mountain than I did in class. If I'm being completely honest in the winter months, um, but it changed the way that I thought about things and especially getting a little bit older and being with my kids. My goal is like, I'm going to play with myself and my kids as long as I possibly can. I want to be physically strong enough to be active for as many days in my life as I possibly can be. And, and what that means and how you train, right? Like you talk about like, same thing, like I'm never going to be the best climber. My, my strength to weight ratio is, is never going to be enough to be able to be the best, like boulder, the best climber, but man, do I love doing that. I love climbing with those kids. And so my goal is to be the best possible climber that I can be and be around and to teach, teach those kids. Same thing. Like I'm teaching these kids to ski. I'm going to be the best possible skier. I'm strong enough to push all day long as they come through with me. I'll tell you what, man, part of my training that I've actually just figured out in the last couple of weeks is that um i i want to go to colorado because you guys have like a bunch of 14ers out there so oh, yeah. 15,000 uh, feet peaks and um i've found some cool areas to hang out in in um, colorado where i'm getting a lot of elevate elevation to actually acclimatize for a couple of weeks before i go to somewhere like kilimanjaro or anconcagua yeah. and um you know if, if the stars and moon align and we can actually make it line up it'd be cool to climb a 14 together man out there heck yeah dude let's do it and let's not talk about it let's put it on the calendar let's I'll, I'll i'll meet you there that's part of the time freedom man let's let's put that rock in the river beautiful man and if, if the young fellas are like up or physically capable of doing it or whatever then yeah let's bring that well, there's a couple 14ers they can make for sure yeah yeah cool good stuff so what what would you say over the next 12 months what's got you most excited learning and and honestly learning with people um, we're in a very, very interesting time, as we talked about, and a transition, not only as like, as an economy, but as a nation and as a world, there's a lot that's going on. And I think looking at it at a longer view and a longer lens, it can be really crushing in a lot of ways to see that there's some changes for the negative in the very near term, looking at it with a long lens. Um, unfortunately, there's been a lot of major negatives in the long term, but also like I see it from the lens that things get better as when things get worse, things get better and people that rise to the top that make those things better. So learning about like how we can help make things better, how we can help people's lives 
better how we can meet people where they are. Like we can talk about that. So it's not just investing. It's like, Hey, how can we build relationships with people? Even if they're not investing with us, if they're not adventuring with us, how can we make their lives better? So learning amongst other people has me jazzed. I think we're going to look back at this time in five to 10 years. I mean, like that's where it started, like because of this duress, because of this hardship or because of this thing that happened that allowed us to be where we are now. Yeah, man. Um, learning is huge. And talking about learning and kids, you got kids. I don't have kids, but I think about the concept of if I did have kids. And I mean, I, I think our kids in this generation should be learning about building relationships. They should learn how to manage money. They should learn how to um, like handle their emotions and process, yep. process emotions and how to like make critical decisions and like these things are seemingly like they're not the academic things that we really like learn at school. And I don't know, maybe schools are starting to teach these things, but I think a lot no. of people will be like waking up in the, in these years and the times now it's like um, it's, it's like things are being stirred up. And I think that we're going to see those kinds of changes that maybe 10 years from now we'll have schools like that or homeschool franchises or something like that, where kids are learning a lot of these things because I just I look at it and I just think kids are graduating at grade 12 right now with probably grade seven um, intelligence. Oh, yeah. I don't know if any intelligence, I don't even know. I would say wisdom is probably a better word to actually use there. But I think that like our, our humans have way more potential than what our yeah. schooling systems are actually like putting out there. And if we put our kids in the right environment where they actually do do these things, they're working on relationships and communication and emotions and, and, and all the rest of it. And still the math and English and all of that stuff as well. Dude, unlimited potential. Yeah. Well, I think that there's something missing too. I mean, this is, we can walk this road a long ways, but what I'm excited about too, is that in a, in certain cases, vocational training and vocational teaching is coming back, at least in America, and at least what I've seen in the conversations that I've had. And it's not so looked down upon. And I, I think that's a huge miss. You know, there's, there's a story that I tell, um, you know, my wife comes from a completely different environment than I do. I met my wife in New York City when I just started producing. I, I moved to New York to produce fashion shows because it was the furthest thing from anything that I ever knew. And I wanted to put myself in the most uncomfortable environment just to see if I could make it, right? To see if I had the chops to actually produce. And I met my wife, my now wife there, and she's, she's a New Yorker. She's been there her whole life. Her family's from there. Her dad's from there. And so we have a, a different fundamental difference in, in how we see child rearing in the beginning. And so I grew up, my dad was a farmer's son. My mom was a rancher's daughter and kids were a part of that environment, right? Like, so my kids now are eight and nine, not so very long ago, those kids would be like running a farm. They would be driving tractors. They would be doing things and they would be doing dangerous things. So I agree with you. The ability to have emotional intelligence, the ability to have communication skills, the ability to understand what you're doing, but actually have a vocational ability as well to understand the why behind some of these things, I think is incredibly important as well. And when you say vocation, are you talking also about like, you know, blue collared trades and things like this as well? Or Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, I think that things are missed when we don't realize why things work. Like there's a lot of interesting data that comes out of, you know, this blue collar versus white collar. I think, I know, obviously I'm, I'm, I use my brain more than I use my hands at this point, but at the same time, like I was raised to know how things work, like how we build things, you know, like 
how do I pick up a tool? We still, you know, I have a shop at my house on purpose. I know that you are a welder. The ability to understand why things work, whether or not you're the one building them, whether or not you're the one that's running that machine, understanding why that machine works, whether it's the economy or whether it's a truck is is important to me. I think there are far too many kids, and I know we're on a tangent here, but I think this is really important when we talk about the way the world works and what we're excited about in the next 10 years. I do think that there is a return for a lot of kids who aspire to be in the vocational trades. And I think there's a lot of really good that comes from that because there's a lot of reason for people that can grow and can A, make a bunch of money, but B, do a lot of good in this world in that space. Yeah, man. And I'm, I'm here mainly on my soapbox, helping people and talking about like creating freedom and being an entrepreneur and investing and things like that. And I know that even though that's the main thing that I'm promoting, that um, there's a lot of people that are listening that, like you said before, they don't want to be the, the business owner or the full-time investor. They actually do like what they're doing, or maybe yeah. they, they, they want to have a job. And one thing, and I know we're kind of going down a few rabbit holes here, but um, <laughs> to talk about like the blue collar trades. So kind of now and, and definitely over the last like 20 years, that generation would say, well, you be a doctor or an attorney and that's how you make a lot of money, right? You go to university and you do that. I think the blue collar trades, we're seeing a massive, massive shift because a lot of things still need to be built. Um, we still need our tradesmen. But all of the baby boomers are retiring and there's hardly anybody coming in to replace them. And so we're starting to see the early parts of that in multifamily and mobile home parks and, and our investments that um, contractors are harder to get. Um, they're charging more. They're booked out further. I'm just saying could be an opportunity for a lot of people to like get into that space, which um, could be very, very profitable moving forward. Maybe um, being a welder and a plumber or a carpenter might be the future um, attorney and doctor, really, yeah, you know, with, with the way that things are changing and where they're going, because everybody kind of like wants to work on a computer. And there's this whole industry that needs to like, it needs to happen. Otherwise, we don't have all of these resources, right? Well, not only that, that it can be incredibly lucrative. It is a business, right? And I think that there's some, and, and again, a little caveat here. I think the, the hardest part is that no matter what you go through for training, whether you're being a doctor or a lawyer, a carpenter, a welder, if you're going to run a business very few times, and what we're talking about, like in this next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, teaching people and teaching children how to be a business person and not just a tradesman, right? Like yeah. there was, I forget what I was reading the other day, but there's somebody who was talking about like, he was a chiropractor. He went all the way through chiropractor school was an excellent chiropractic doctor and failed miserably because nobody taught him how to run a business, right? Like that's the thing. If you're a carpenter and you can run a great business, then you're in the money, especially now, like go move to Crested Butte, move to Vail, move to Aspen. Like you, I promise you as a skilled businessman and still skilled tradesman, you're going to do all right for yourself. And you're seeing that across the board. But if we can teach people how to be business people as well as tradesmen or doctors, lawyers, attorneys, sure. But if you go into the trade, and you are an apprentice and you move up, your, your student loans are probably dramatically less, right? The time you put in there than somebody who's a doctor and you have the ability to do some good. Everybody has their own path. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying one's better than the other, but I'm just excited by the fact that it's going, in my opinion, it's going to be needed and it's going to be completely acceptable for somebody like, I want to learn to build houses and I want to be a great businessman and I want to go do a good job. Like, right on son, get it done, man. And arguably, the learning of the business piece is significantly easier than learning the craft and the skill of actually being a carpenter or a welder and all of those things too. Yeah. 
because they're kind of transferable fundamental basics in business of market okay. management, bookkeeping, and all of these kinds of things. Yeah. Build your system. Yep. Very cool, man. So you were saying learning. Um, I do want to just like give a little bit more energy to that. Um, you were kind of referring to like learning by having conversations and things like that. Is there anything specific that you'd be doing to like continue to learn over the next 12 months? Is it conversations with people or like? Yeah, it is conversation with people. And a lot of it, I think for us, personally speaking on a business front, I am, I'm really interested in learning and growing our marketing side of things and learning and growing how we reach people. Because like I said, our ultimate goal is to, to get into people's lives and help where we can, you know, not necessarily to force our way in there, but to let people know that there are so many resources that I, I, in my opinion, don't exist. So learning about how we do that and how we do that effectively, how we do that realistically and, and speak from the heart, as opposed to, you know, bombarding people with messaging on Instagram, like it's all a part of it, but how for me coming out of action sports and transitioning into real estate was really hard. And, and I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it still is because they're, I'm me. And so finding my voice and you and I've had this conversation is like, how do I naturally transition this? And how do I have a conversation with people and, and be authentically me and not be an imposter, right? Like that's, that was a, a really difficult transition. And I mean, it, a part of it too is, you know, I'm, I'm partners with my younger brother and he's two or three steps ahead. Like he was the one who's like, Hey, we should come over here and do this. So even getting through that and having a conversation with my brother and being a business partner and him being the leader for the first time in like our physical relationship. And as a, a you know, as siblings was, was, really interesting. Um, but learning about how do we tell these stories authentically and how do we, how do we meet people where they are? It's the best way to describe it and, and say, Hey, I know that you're a doctor. I know that you're a tradesman. I know that you're a welder. We can help you. Or we for sure know somebody who can, if we can't. Beautiful. That's awesome. A connector and a yeah. true person who really wants to help people. Love that, man. When you make it about other people, it's like business just becomes like easy, doesn't it? When it's, when it's no longer about us, like on my path to financial freedom, it was, I was egocentric, dude. It was all about me. It was all about getting to the point of like becoming financially free. Then once I achieved that, my life just changed. And it was like, wait up. I don't have these like pressures. I don't have these forces. I don't have to beat against the clock. And then I actually changed it and I made it more about our investors, their outcome, their families, all of the things that are going to be a consequential effect of that. And it's actually easier. It's actually easier to show up for other people sometimes than what it is yeah. to actually show up for ourselves. And I know you're, you're, you're massive in that area. Well, I just, there's more, I think that people are incredibly short-sighted when it comes to the fact that it's just mine. This is mine. You know, I've got elbows out. You know, the, I think I told somebody the other day, the person who eats with their elbows out the table soon is eating alone, right? There's so much here for everybody and there's a way for us to help everybody. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I truly think that even in a business front, if you, you can say, Hey, I, this isn't, this isn't my lane. You, you want mobile home parks, go speak to Bryce. You do right by that investor. I've built a friend and an ally for life, not only with you, but with that investor. And that goes a long way. And that person's going to talk about both of us. And that exponentiates what we're doing. If I just hold that person close to me and whether I do right by them or not, so hopefully I do. Maybe that exponentiates here, but that's that's taking down literally half of that realm because I would be willing to bet I send you somebody and say, hey, this is my buddy, Bill. He's super interested in the mobile home space. Cool. I'd be willing to bet that if somebody came to you and didn't fit what you're doing, but it fit what I was doing, you would call me. And that's how we grow together, man. There's just so much here for everybody. It was the same way in the event space. Like some people have their elbows out 
And there's this huge transition. Like a lot of my very good friends that were all a part of different companies are now suddenly collaborating. And this Voltron that they're building, they can take down amazing projects and do amazing things that they would never have been able to do on their own in their own separate pieces. The more we grow together, man, the more amazing things we're going to be able to do. And that, that goes for economics, that goes for almost everything, governance down to your local community PTA. And I think that even the most egocentric person will actually, that will click in the investment world after time, because the deeper I go down this rabbit hole, man, there is so many ways to make money, dude. Like there's no way we can keep up with it all. There's no way we can do it all. It's like, I mean, there's just so many deals and opportunities and ways to prob solve problems and make money out there that we honestly live in a world of abundance. And even if you and I were doing exactly the same deals, we would likely find a way to collaborate on that anyway, because there's just so many deals. There's only so much time in a day. And um, we really, really, truly live in a world of abundance. And this whole world of investing, and I didn't know this because I was in, the, in, I was in the, um, the welding world and the construction world and everything like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's like, there's just so much there. It's yeah. amazing. And it's like, whoa, wake up guys. Like there's an absolutely massive world over here where you can just live in abundance and you're not stepping on other people's toes. You're not taking from other people. You're not making other people poor. If anything, I think in this realm, we're actually taking a little bit of money from like the wealthy um, and as opposed to the other way around, because we're actually providing jobs, we're providing employment, opportunities, better housing, all these kinds of things. It's just really exciting. And um, I don't know, I kind of like get on a little bit of a side tangent there, but a lot no, of I, I couldn't agree with you more is just maybe they don't see that the way that we do, you know? No, but I think it also takes seeing it and people who are willing to step into this space. And I think this is why your, your platform is so powerful and why I'm honestly so honored to be able to have this conversation with you on this platform is because the more that people can hear it and the more that people see it, it's, it's really hard to see if you're not looking for it, right? That's that reticular activating cortex. If you suddenly you're looking for a red car, you see red cars everywhere, right? But you didn't see all those red cars, the same amount of red cars on your drive to and from work every single day, but all of a sudden you're paying attention to it. If you can start listening to these types of conversations and understand there's more out there than any of us that are listening to this or talking on this can grab. There's literally more out there. There are more deals that will exist in the next 10 years than you and I can do together by an exponent. Yeah. And that's, that's the reality. So the people like, I can't do it. I have just this much. I've got to have the tight fist. You're missing so much by seeing that. If you take a minute and like take a step back, like really ask, start asking questions, ask as many people in your world as you possibly can and start learning about the space. You'll realize pretty quickly how big that water is, how deep that water is. Absolutely, man. So I've really, really appreciated having you here on Freedom Hack Radio today. I know we're kind of coming up on time, so we're going to have to wrap things up here. How do our Freedom Hackers keep the conversation going with you? Yes, sir. Um, I'm active on LinkedIn. Um, ben Nelson 303 same thing on Instagram, Ben Nelson 303 Please reach out to me at ben at wildoakcapital.com. Um, and we'll, if you're interested in the events in this series, you want to go adventure and give us a holler and we'll, uh, we'll set you up. Beautiful. So Ben, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for being real. Thanks for being vulnerable. Um, thanks for being exciting and adventurous and being a leading example. Um, I actually would really love to continue this conversation and have you back in, in the not too long uh, distant future. So you're totally welcome back anytime, brother. I'd be honored. And, um, between now and then, is there anything that you want to leave with our freedom hackers? Uh, maybe a little golden nugget or piece of advice? Get amongst it. Get quiet. Get quiet and get amongst it. You know more than you than uh, I think you know, 
and ask the right questions and find the right people. That's it. Beautiful. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today with us, brother. For all of our freedom hackers out there, I'm Bryce Robertson, your host. Until next week, live large and live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio, and I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio.